But I'm excited about that. Hey, I'm excited about today. If you were not here last week, you can still listen to the audio of the sermon. You know, I know this is the first Sunday of the year, but I really kicked things off last week because to me, you know, being in the 31st, I mean, it was New Year's Eve. So to me, I'm looking like, well, I'm already ready for the new year. You know, I knew the 23 is gone. I'm ready for 24. I saw somebody, I think it was Ta, and he put on, online, he's going to kick the door. How did he put it? Kick, kick the door in 24. I don't know what he, he had, he was more clever than me, but I'm, I am, I want to see, I wanna, my challenge to you, because last, last Sunday, if you didn't catch the date, it was one, two, three, one, two, three. Did you guys catch that? 12, three, yeah, 23, okay. So it, it was an unusual day. But to me, what I wanted to challenge you to, and if you listen to that sermon, I, I want you to seek God for God. Seek God for God. That, that phrase has been in my mind and it's just growing and growing and growing. And I mentioned this last week, and if you weren't here, I'm asking you as a church to fast for the next two weeks. You can start that Monday and go through the 20th. And I want to say a few things about fasting, because somebody, somebody caught me in the lobby and they said, Pastor, I can't do that. I'm like, do what? They're like, I can't not eat. And, you know, I don't always know what that means. So I kind of know what that means because I really do like to eat. I mean, you probably can tell by looking at me. I do love to eat. And um, so I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they physically cannot go without food because of the medications they take, some of the other things. I'm like, well, look, fasting doesn't have to be limited to that. Or there's also different ways to fast where you might do a partial fast or uh, there's different kinds of fasting where like maybe you do, uh, I know a lot of people do like a Daniel fast where all they eat is vegetables. To me, that would be torture. That wouldn't even be like, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not kidding, actually, but um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> sorry. I was just thinking about the fact that I, I had a foods and nutrition class in college, and I remember the teacher was talking about this, and I'm, I, at some point, I raised my hand and like, you know what, since I moved out of my house, I haven't had a vegetable for like three years. And <laughs> the teacher, <laughs> I remember, because, you know, she's like, that's impossible. I'm like. No, it's not, actually. <laughs> but whatever. Okay, sorry, that was way off topic. Um, okay, we're spiritual here. We're talking about fasting. You, you know what the point of fasting is? It's to deny something, something physical to focus on the spiritual. That's it. And you can deny other things, too. You know, something I did a year ago, I think it was, I did 30 days with no social media at all. It was life-changing. I know that sounds, I'm, I'm maybe embarrassed to admit it, but it's amazing how tied in and how much time we can waste. And, and that's about me. I'm not, I'm not judging any of you. I'm just saying, if you take that time and devote it to God, you will grow in your faith. Yeah. That's the point. So please don't get hung up on what or how or how much. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. Because this person said, well, I could maybe do a day. It's like they're bargaining with me. Like, it's not about me. I don't even need to know. What I want you to do is seek God for God. And if, if you pray about this and say, God, are you calling me to something like this? And if so, what? Maybe for you, it's one meal. And for some people, it's a big deal. If you're used to eating the three meals, our body knows, right? I mean, you know when lunchtime is. You can feel it. I get it. And if you commit that time, and, and don't just I mean, replace that time with God. That's my point. Right. Seek God for God. That's it. That's what I'm asking you to do. 
I did put a fasting guide on in the YouVersion Bible notes. If you use those notes, I encourage you to do it just because it's you. You have access to everything, all the sermon notes, the verses pop up. It's really a handy thing if you want to follow along with what's going on. If you're, if you're worried about me judging you for being on your phone in church, <laughs> I just trust you that God's working in your life. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't do that. I'm not hung up on that. Because I know I'm asking you to look at, a lot of people use the phone on the Bible, that's fine. But those, it's in the notes there, and uh, I'll send an email out tomorrow with that too, just so you can get kind of a spiritual foundation of fasting and what it means and, and all of those details. I don't want anybody going into this haphazardly, and if you can't go without, that's fine. Or if you maybe need to talk to a doctor, do that. But the idea is to seek God for God. Don't get, don't get confused on that. Okay? You got it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I want to continue with this, seek God for God. And this, it sounds funny, reading it now in my notes, it makes me laugh at myself. But let's just do this, you ready? I'm a pastor. Do you guys know that? People call me that. I remember as a young minister, uh, the first time, oh man, it gets me choked up, to be honest with you, because I just flashed back to where I was. I was standing right there in my home church, and I was the youth pastor. And it was the first time that we did prayer after the service, you know, like the altar call time. And I was standing right there, and uh, nobody was coming to my line to get prayed for. Why would you, right? I'm a 21-year-old kid. Why? His prayers can't do anything, right? Brand new pastor. I just had business cards made. <laughs> and... Um, this man who had been in the church since I was a kid came up and he said, Pastor, call me Pastor. And I couldn't even, <laughs> I can't even remember what he asked for me to pray for. Of course, I mean, it's been 40 years ago, 35 years, whatever. And he called me Pastor. And it stuck with me all day. You know who else came to my line? My own dad. You know how humbling that is? But I'm a pastor. It's what I do. It's not, it's not really a title for me. It's, it's what God's called me to do. It's who I am. The sermon's not about me. Don't get worried about that. But I, I want you to understand some things as a pastor, what I do, what I'm called to do. Now, there are, there are legitimate things I have to do that aren't really necessarily, like it wasn't really covered in Bible college. And maybe you never thought of it like this, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually the president of this corporation. So when there's any legal thing to do, I have to sign, I have to you know, go to the bank, I have to you know, work with that kind of thing. I'm also the guy, I mean, I get here before anybody else and I turn the lights on and if you're cold, it's my fault. So I turn the heat on and, and then I also feel the need that it's like I'm the dad at house and when there's lights left on, it bugs me, and I turn them off. I hire and manage the staff. I lead the board. I deal with the budget, benevolence needs, the vision, mission of the church. You know, I, I do a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals. <laughs> Connect with people, with other ministries, study, research, I care for the sick and, and widows and orphans. It's my job, my ministry. 
my life. Paul, Paul mentions this in Ephesians. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity of the faith, our knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of, the church, of Christ. I was doing some research into that pastor-teacher. And pastor literally means shepherd. I don't know if you realize that. It's that pastoral word, pastoral, shepherd. I mean, if you think about what a pastor, a shepherd does for sheep, I mean, you, you feed the sheep. And what you're getting here today is spiritual food that I've researched, sought God to give you today, to grow you, your spirit. And it may seem weird to even say it that way. It sounds weird saying it, but that is a job. And it's, it's a job in scripture that I'm supposed to do. I'm also supposed to guard you as a shepherd, as sheep. I'm supposed to also correct you if, if necessary, which seems weird too, right? As I was looking at it, it said, it said it's literally shepherd, and they're supposed to feed the flock with spiritual food and see that they are protected from spiritual danger. I'm supposed to lead, teach, and protect you. So protect you from what? Protect you how? Protect you from what? Well, it's a lot of things, and there, there's a lot of scriptural basis for this, but bad thinking, errors in the way you see God or how you interpret scripture, even people who might be damaging to your spiritual walk. It's, it, it's weird to think back over the years and people I've had to do that with who you would never know about, which is the goal. Right? That I had to protect you from and you didn't even know. I want you to just keep eating and growing and being mature. Not be worried about what's coming from the outside. Sometimes it involves protecting you from the influences of a world that is all around us. Demonic thinking. That sounds really big, doesn't it? And scary. But let's look at scripture. Jesus said it this way, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. I've heard this said all my life, that God has a plan for your life. What I didn't hear for many years, though, is the enemy of our souls also has a plan for your life. And his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's not just physical, but it's everything. He wants to, he wants to ruin everything about your life. He wants to ruin your future. He wants to ruin your goals. He wants to ruin your family. He wants to steal your joy. Isn't it weird to think that there's a, a supernatural cosmic being that is out to get you? I don't want to live life like that. I don't want to look around every corner and be scared all the time. But his goal is to destroy you. Now, Jesus said in the rest of that verse, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Peter, writing to the church, the early church was similar to us. I mean, it was in a very negative culture. And he says, stay alert. Watch out for, the, for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I think I mentioned this a few, a while back, but the, the, the lion's roar is actually one of the loudest things in nature. It strikes fear in, fear in their prey. There's times where their prey, if they roar, will just stand there shaking and not move. 
Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What do you think he's talking about? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about worldly philosophies, worldviews that creep in and steal from the church. We're in a weird time in history where the attack of the enemy against us is huge. Now, we've always been under attack. They they were under attack in the first century. That's what these, these letters are talking about. They were also under attack. But things have changed a little bit. Maybe you have to be a little older to notice it. You know, you guys have grown up in this. It's, it's your world you live in. Your world is different than my world. <clears throat> I almost laughed at myself because I was going to say, I don't feel much older than you. <laughs> I'm over 40 years older than any of them. But our world wasn't the same. We were in junior high once, middle school, high school, but not the same as them. It's different. Things have changed. It's almost like the enemy's not hiding anymore. Have you noticed that? We used to feel comfort, I did, in the idea that most of America was Christian. I talked about that a few weeks ago, the air quotes thing. (laughs) Right? I mean, most of the world at least agreed with Christian values. It was a time where Christian ideals were respected and actually admired. Do you remember that? Remember that? But now it seems like those ideas are considered insurgent. It's almost as if you have those ideas, you're on a list somewhere, and you're going to be investigated. Sometimes those ideas are even considered violent. Just the ideas. I mean, words have been redefined. Christian terms that we've grown up with don't mean the same thing in our world today. I mean, does love mean love? Have you thought about this? You see these signs, love means love. What do they mean by love? And what they're specifically talking about is is homosexuality. And so the idea then is all love makes all loving relationships okay. But is that true? I mean, what if they're polymorphous? I mean, that's a thing. What What if it's someone younger than you? I mean, way younger. I know that you see this. I hate to even mention these things in church, but these are the ideas that are creeping into our society in a huge way, and we need protected from it. We need to be ready for it. The idea that they're going to redefine pedophilia as minor attracted person, it's been coming for years. Does justice really mean justice? I mean, is Christianity true? Is it a good book? Remember it used to be called that? Or is Christianity really a colonizing force? I don't know if you've heard this. Misogynistic, paternalistic, racist, bigoted, homophobic. I know somebody here is for sure thinking, uh, he's really exaggerating. Really? Is this all hyperbole? 
I'll tell you, the enemy is coming after our kids. Directly. It's there. He's coming against our families, redefining what that means, coming against marriage. But he always was. Here's what I want you to see today. He always was. He was just a little maybe more undercover, and he's clever that way. It's not easy. It's not new necessarily. It's just right now we're seeing a lot more frontal attacks. But for a lot of people, in a lot of time, it's been kind of just subversive, insurgent type attacks. I mean, what he does is he, he builds up the sins that we're drawn to, that humanity has always been drawn to, our pride. Now we're proud of pride. Have you seen that? Do you realize pride is like the basic sin? It's the pride that led the enemy of our souls to go from being a key angel to a, the, the king of demons. It was pride. It's the same thing he drew away Adam and Eve in the garden with, that they could be God. And now we are proud of pride. It's so twisted. The selfishness, the lust, the envy, all of that. But he attacks in other ways too and starts to draw down our identity in Christ. And instead of our identity in Christ is the thing that we're proud of is he wants you to have pride in you. I mean, how is it bad to say, I'm enough or you're okay? Of course we want to be okay. But our identity is in Christ. And he attacks in such subtle ways. I mean, it's always been through Ways to creep into our hearts and minds that maybe go undetected. Maybe it's a book that everything about the book is great, but then the main character has philosophies and worldviews that are different than ours. But you love them. It's a good character. Same in movies. Same in TV shows. And you like the show, and it's funny, and you laugh along. And the whole thing is about things that are really, really negative values. Songs. Why is it that lyrics stick in our minds so well? What is it about music that just flows in us and we're singing a song we never tried to learn? And the things you want to memorize are so hard to learn. But a song does it. It just creeps past our defenses and all of a sudden, how many, okay, not y'all. Those of you who are my age and maybe a few years younger, how many of you have heard a song from high school and all of a sudden you realize, Oh my gosh, that was really a bad song. Right? right? <laughs> and you know the words. I will never forget, this is ages ago. I was a youth pastor, actually, in my home church. And we got this young bass player, and he was up there one night before, it was before a Wednesday night service, and they were playing to worship. Um, and I was heading to youth service, and I'm hearing My Sharona. Uh-oh. I'm hearing the My Sharona bass line. I'm like, uh, do, do you know what that song's about? And I looked at him from the back. I was standing in the back, and I'm like, dude, what, the, what in the world? And later, I was talking to him, and he goes, well, none of them know what it means. I'm like, but you do. You know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what it does, though? If that doesn't work, what does he do? Let's, let's say you're good. You're solid. These are going to attack the things that you love. He will do that and attack your family and your kids and the relationships that, that give you strength, or maybe your health and your mind, and all these things, and it just starts to draw you down. Or maybe, <clears throat> is social media bad? I mean, really? Is anything like that bad in and of itself? I mean, that's just a thing, right? But used in the wrong way, of course it's bad. 
I mean, social media is a great way to connect and, and to get to know people and to keep in touch and to see things in the world we've never seen before. I mean, I can do it easily. I got lost in this, so I'm such a dork, but in this, 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 this um, it was an Instagram page that does all these historical things and I was just, I was watching and I realized 30 minutes later I'd learned a lot. But what is the dark side? All the comparisons that start to eat away at your sense of self and who you are. And it's one thing to say that I'm, I'm in Christ and whole in Christ, but then you don't feel like you're good enough because you can never measure up to what you see on there. I mean, think about the other things, the, the way that porn is so accessible. When I was in college for, for a year, I worked at a 7-Eleven. I did graveyards at a 7-Eleven. And I will never forget, you know, because the counter was like this. I had this counter space, and we actually had a register back then. Do you remember those? And I had to count out change and money, like real count, yeah. And then all the porn was right there. All those years, I never sold one. It was all right there. You know why? Because I think people were, it was awkward for them to come up and ask for it. They had to come up and tell me what they wanted. And I would have had to get it and put it on the counter right in front of me and them. And they would pay whatever they cost. Never sold one all those years. It doesn't work that way anymore. Now it comes to you on your phone whether you ask for it or not. Billions and billions of dollars, trillion, probably a trillion dollar industry. It's all over the place. Think about the access. No, and I'm not saying you guys are accessing it. But think of the access our young people have that we never had. Could, could I have withstood that temptation at that age? I don't know. I would like to think so. But let's be honest, the world has changed. Think about the information that's out there. The lies that can be told in 30 seconds and you can't get it back. The lies about the world and the way the world is and how we got here and Christianity. And, and most of you know I teach apologetics, defending the Christian faith, and I often go looking for, for people attacking the faith, and it's, they are so good. They're so good at it. How could God be good if he lets these bad things happen? I'm just born this way. How can you judge me and hate me for who I am? I mean, all these lies that go out there, nobody can challenge it. It's just so quick and easy. And it feeds our fears and our biases. And we get this false impression that the whole world is walking that way when they're really not. I mean, knowledge is power, isn't it? Do you remember seeing lists of who influences our young people today? Back when I was younger, there were still pastors and teachers and politicians and parents high on that list. And friends were always there, but they were down a few notches. Then it shifted where friends were over that. Do you know who influences the most now? Anybody have a guess? It's Google. Number one. If you ask kids where they get their information and what to know, the information is there. But then who vets that information? And how does it come to them in context? And is it actually true? Now, parents still can be up on the list if they're involved in their kid's life. That is the caveat. As an adult, if you have relationship, then you can have influence. My point in saying all this is, as a pastor, it's my responsibility to protect you, to guide you, to help you navigate a world that is after you and protect you from an enemy who is so clever and there's so many ways that he comes into our lives 
There's so many ways he intends to steal, kill, and destroy. The thing is, as a pastor, it's a, it's a big responsibility. It's my job to point you to Christ. And I said last week that I want you to seek God for God. I want you to do that. Because that's where it all starts. You and your relationship. I've said this before. I mean, nobody, nobody, God has no grandkids. You know that, right? It's corny, I know. But the more you think about it, you realize he has a direct relationship with you. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian even because you walk in the church. Just like you're not a car because you stand in a garage. You being a Christian is because you have a relationship with him. And what I'm asking you to do is to make that relationship the most important and central relationship of your life. And then every other relationship and every other thing is outside of that. That's what I want for you. I want that more for you than I can ever say. That's the only thing that matters to me. As a pastor, there's a lot of things that tempt you to be, that you prideful or want, big church, this, that. None of that matters to me. All I want is to see you in heaven. That's it. So how does that work? Well, let me ask you then. I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a fair question. We've asked it before, but I want to ask this question. I really want you to think about your answer. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Why are you a believer? Why are you a Christ follower? There's a great apologist. His name is J. Warner Wallace. He, he's a cold case detective with the Los Angeles Police Department. You may have seen him on Nightline. He's been on there a lot talking about cases they've solved. He grew up as an atheist. He grew up as an atheist. His father was an atheist. Then, then his dad got remarried and married a Mormon. That actually confirmed him more as an atheist being around the Mormon faith. But then he was irritated because friends of his who were also detectives in LAPD were Christians. And he would ask them, why are you a Christian? And they never gave any evidence. And he's thinking, as a cop, you don't, you don't have any really reasons to believe. His wife became a Christian and bugged him. It bugged him. And he went to church with her one day, and the pastor, whoever it was, said that Jesus was the wisest man that ever lived. Now, making a, a claim like that, he wanted proof. So what he did is he started to research, and that led him to Christ. You know what led him to Christ the most? As a police detective, it was the Gospels, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life where most people who are not trained in investigation look at maybe some of the minute differences and say, oh, it can't be true because they're different stories. He looked at it, and what he saw immediately was real eyewitness accounts, what he, what he saw in his job every day. He looked at those, and he said, it's true, based on those eyewitness accounts. But when he speaks at churches, and he asks that question, why are you a Christian? Let me just tell you the four category answers that he gets every time he said it's always like this one answer one kind of goes like this i was raised in church my parents were christians or i've been a christian as long as i can remember and if that's you that's fine don't don't be triggered by any of this he said the second answer category he gets all the time is i've had an experience that convinced me my the holy spirit confirmed it was true god demonstrated somehow his existence to me the third category answer he gets a lot is, I was changed by Jesus. I used to be this thing, immoral lifestyle, whatever, and God changed my life. And then the fourth reason is he gets all the time is because I just know the Bible's true. 
the problem for that is, and for him and his specific life experience, is those are the same answers his Mormon relatives give. It's the same answers that other people give, whatever their faith or, or is. Now, I'm not questioning your faith. It's a good place to start. But why you follow Jesus says a lot about how you follow Jesus. Did you catch that? Can I say that again? And you really listen to what I'm saying here. Why you follow him says a lot about how you follow him. Let me add a caveat to that. And this one's scary. Why you follow him also might be a factor in why you might stop following him. Because if your reason to follow him is, I just always knew what happens if then you just didn't know. Or if it felt right, then it doesn't feel right. Do you see the issue? What I want you to do is follow Christianity because it's true. And if you follow him because it's true, then that never changes and he never changes. Of course Christianity changes lives. Do you know why it changes lives? Because it's true. You know why it changes lives? Because we serve a God who loves you and created you for relationship. And the fact is that sin is what destroyed the relationship. But then he made a way of salvation for us. Jesus died for our sins, rose again, and restores the relationship. Because that's true, then lives are changed. But if you don't follow him for the right reason, then what happens is sometimes the cares of life can pull it away from us. Ray Comfort, I I don't know if you've ever seen him on TV. He does a lot of, he puts a lot of stuff on TV about sharing Christ. A lot of times it was around the beach because that's where he lives. But back when I was a youth pastor, we used to work with Ray a lot and go street witnessing down in Santa Monica and a lot of places. He uses an illustration that I think is incredible for this. Here's his illustration. Let's imagine that someone told you that you could accept Christ and it would change your life and everything would get better. Isn't that true? Yes? And then he said, it's like this. And then you give them this backpack and tell them they got to wear the backpack and get on this flight. But the backpack's kind of bulky. I mean, it's big and it's heavy. And as they're walking, they're like, I see some people with a backpack like this, but not everybody. I mean, some of those people are just walking carefree and they just get on the plane. But I'm getting on the plane and I'm walking up the stairs and it's awkward and uncomfortable and I'm trying to make my way through the aisles and not bump people and you know this guy's leaning out in the aisle and I got to move a little bit to get around him and the backpack keeps bumping the chairs and then I go to sit down and somebody says well you got to keep that backpack on I'm like well how can I do that I mean there's hardly any room in these seats and I'm kind of sitting there like this and there's my face is right up next to the seat in front of me and then they put theirs back and I'm it's awkward and it's heavy And it's inconvenient. And there's times where I wonder, like, God, do I really need this backpack? Here's the problem. Nobody told them that you do need the backpack because the plane's going down. Now, if you know the plane's going down, and actually it's not just a backpack, but it's actually a parachute, then what do you do? Then you're like, thank you, Jesus. I've got this backpack. It's no longer inconvenient. You're no longer... Complaining because not everybody has one and they look like life's so easy and it's so comfortable for them. 
And you're no longer worried about the discomfort because you realize that this is the thing you actually need because it's true and it's real and it saves your life and it changes everything. It's no longer just an inconvenience. It's actually something that you want. And not only that, you're not embarrassed about it anymore, but you want to tell everybody else that they need one. Do you see the difference? It's not just something that comes in your life. It's not just an accessory. It's actually the very thing that makes your life worth living. It's everything. You see, why you follow has a lot to do with how you follow. And why you follow also will have a lot to do with why you might stop following. If you follow only because you want, because of what you think God does for you, then when you feel like he's not doing those things, then you start to think like not following. Do you get that? If you only follow him because you want him to answer your prayers, and you want these good things, and then the good things don't happen, you wonder, like, should I even pray? Not to be rude, but haven't you just turned him into a genie? And you rub the lamp, and you get your three wishes? Ouch, I know. Sometimes a shepherd has to use the shepherd's crook. You know what we do? Because if he's not answering our prayers fast enough or when we want or how we want, then we start to think, maybe it's not right. But you know why? Because you didn't follow him for the right reason. You followed him to get things, not because he's who he is. Not for him. You followed him for an easy life and then problems came up. Your husband didn't change. You thought he would. Isn't that funny how husbands and wives are? Can we laugh about that? I always tell couples when I'm doing premarital, yeah, he's pretty much going to be like this forever. She's going to change a little bit. It's okay. Right? If you married to fix him, he's probably not, we're not that complicated. Your boss is still mean and a jerk. Still got financial issues. Friendships. Babies, no babies, whatever it is. But if you follow him because it's true, then all those things are still things, but you don't change him. If, if your faith was transactional, like I'm going to believe in you, if you do these things, or if it all is going to make sense, then what you're really asking is to live life on your terms, and he's just the one to make it work for you, which is just like Adam and Eve in the garden again. That I get to make God like I want. I get control. I, you know what else some of the problem is? And don't be offended by this. It's just real. Let's just be honest, okay? Part of it is because we're Americans. And we've lived in America. I mean, it's so hard to even understand what the, a blessing it is to live here. I mean, you hear people complaining about it. Look, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. But have you ever been anywhere else? I don't care where you go. Honestly, this is an incredible place. And it's not like it's just good now. This is the best place ever. I mean, you go through all history, this is the best. I mean, unless you were really rich and really favored, most of the world has been really bad forever. I, I found this somewhere and it just, it really convicted me. Here's just kind of the difference between churches in America and then churches maybe in a persecuted ch- country, like an underground church which there's a lot. 
Do you know the church is flourishing in China under communist persecution in North Korea? I mean, this, they are flourishing because there it's not, they don't get confused with this stuff because life's never good. God is good. Here's the difference. American churches, it's all about complex growth and marketing strategies. I had to learn what SEO means. You know what that is? Search engine optimization. You know what the underground church works about, worries about? The growth strategy is preach the gospel and try not to die. Get as many people saved before you get caught. In American church, the pastor, this, I mean, I'm, they're kind of making fun of TV churches here, but American, the pastor jumps a dirt bike over the stage to attract a crowd. I'm not doing that, just saying, but <laughs> I, it'd be fun, but I'm not doing that. The underground church, the pastor rides a dirt bike to escape the secret police. The American church, pastor has thousands of followers on Instagram. The underground church, the pastor is forced to hide his identity to escape a gulag. The American church, we've got trained musicians, thank God we do, but they're playing on you know, very expensive sound systems and video systems and all that. The underground church, they sing a cappella hymns whispered so they don't attract detection. The American church, <laughs> bummer, your favorite preacher on the pastoral staff isn't speaking today. The underground church, bummer, the only pastor your church had was in prison last night, so one of you need to step up. American church, the greeters stand near the door. Underground church, their lookouts posted on the roof. The American church, the pa- <laughs> oh, this, I'm going to say it anyway, but this is making fun of a certain pastor, but pastor who, he hid money in the walls of the church. Did you hear about that? And the underground church, the pastor hides in the walls. The American church, they search for a new church because the music isn't your style. The underground church, they search for a new church because yours was burned down. American church authorities issue a mandate to stop them from gathering to worship. The underground church, the authorities have to kill them to stop them from worshiping. Man. Let me, let me bring this home and make it more personal for you for a second. If you seek God for God, it changes everything. If you, if you do it that way, then you're... The way you worship him is different because you worship him for him, not for stuff. If you worship him for him, that won't be a reason to leave him because that doesn't change. I read this quote and it just really got me. It's hard for the heart to rejoice in what the mind doubts. You need to find him for him. For him, for him. You won't worship him with your whole heart if you doubt him. You worship him for him. It's not about things. And when the things get threatened, here's the problem. If you don't worship him for him, then when some of the things get threatened, you're gone. Your heart's gone. Your focus is gone. Your money's gone. Your time is gone. Your devotion is gone. I need, I need who's going to help us with worship to come on up here. So I'm asking you a deep personal question.
Will you seek him for him? Him for him, just him. Now, spoiler alert, you do get all those good things. You do, but they're different. So, seek him for him. You may not get the happy, happy, joy, joy, all the wealth, health. Okay, I'm not talking about that. But here's what you get. Here's what you get, and this is actually priceless. Anybody been to church in another country? A rough country? I love taking students to missions trips. I love it, love it, love it. Because it changes their whole perspective, right? You know what? None None of you guys, okay, none of you have said this. I've never heard you say this. You know what almost every student would say at some point? How can they be so happy and not have anything? And you're sitting there in worship and they're worshiping with their whole heart and tears streaming down their face and they're so grateful to be in the presence of God and be around his people. And all my students could think of is all their clothes are really old and they live on dirt floors. And I remember one time we were working with a pastor in, in Mexico and thank God for, for COVID and the internet, we found each other again. They're about five hours south of, of uh, Tijuana. And... Uh, We've been working on their house and we were putting their cardboard walls on, flattening out Coke bottle tops and punching a hole in them with a nail so it would be, work like a washer. My kids keep looking at us and they're like, they live like this? Like, yeah. And they're happy? Yeah. Because things don't make you happy. But it takes a certain amount of encountering God and his people to realize that. I mean, we see it all the time, right? You see people who commit suicide or are just so unhappy and they've got everything you think the world tells you would satisfy. It's not how it works. So what do you get out of this? You get him. You get him. You get him. There's nothing greater than that. You get him. If you, don't, if you haven't experienced that yet, then you probably don't know what I'm talking about and you're like, what? Could I challenge you? just to try him you could even pray a prayer like this god if if what that crazy pastor is talking about it's real and it's that big a deal to know you can you could you show yourself to me could that happen if you're real could you make it real can i get it yes pray that prayer would you please do that I just challenge you try it if you've are new to this or maybe you haven't quite experienced it that way and it doesn't seem like that big a deal and you think, why is he so emotional about this? Because if you haven't experienced him, then you don't know, but you can know. It doesn't even have to happen in this room. The thing is, he's everywhere. Everywhere you go, he's there. It could be at night before you go to bed and you have a moment of silence and contemplation. You're like, God, are you really that real? I want to know you like that if it's real. You know what else you get? You get a relationship with him that lasts forever. You get a peace that defies understanding. What I mean by that is a peace in the middle of situations that everyone else is freaking out because they can't figure out where the world is or what is going on. This week, I was kind of confused because I'm thinking, is it that different than last week? But this week, I had three people contact me asking me, is this World War III? I don't know. I don't know if it is. 
Don't get me wrong. It might be. But guess what? We're going to heaven. I mean, right? I wasn't going to share this, but there's a student I had years ago. I wasn't living in L.A. Great kid. Good kid. Let me say good kid. What a great kid. He's a good kid. I, I think we know the difference, right? He's a good kid. Graduated high school. His brother was still in the youth group. His parents I was good friends with. I knew him. Then he got skin cancer, of all things. And it was eating him up, physically. And spiritually, he kept growing. I'd go see him, you know, in his room. And at one point, I just, how are you growing in Christ like this? He's sitting in his bed, and he told me, he just said, he goes, either way I win. Looking at a 19-year-old kid who's got his entire life ahead of him, right? Who more could be frustrated with this? I mean, he had every right to be mad at God, right? And I'm looking at him in the depth of relationship. He goes, I just spend hours with him now. I don't know why I didn't do this before. We ended up... um, I ended up taking him to a lot of high schools, actually, and he would speak, and it, it hits different, right, when you're 19 and have that attitude? But I'm just telling you, whatever chaos is in your life right now, you can have a peace that defies the reality. Why? Because you have him. You have him. You know what else you get? Yes, he walks you through those things. And yes, he provides and he answers prayers and he heals and he does amazing things. I'm not saying those aren't there. I'm just saying you need to have him for him first. First. You know the story of Paul and Silas, right? You know who they were? Paul the apostle and Silas, his companion after Barnabas. And they're preaching at all these churches and they're in jail all the time. And if you read Paul's life and he's getting beaten and... At one point, he's stoned, and they think he's dead. They literally leave him for dead. I don't know how bad you have... Stoned, in case you don't know, is being, having rocks thrown at you, not, not the other thing. <laughs> they would literally put him down in a pit or uh, on a hill and throw huge rocks at him till they thought he was dead. But in this story, he's in prison. You know what he's doing? They're worshiping Jesus. In prison, they're singing worship. Now, I want you to understand this. This never hit me all my life until this sermon. Were they praising Jesus to get out of prison? Think about this for a second. Were they? No, they were not. Now, yes, the story's cool because an angel comes and releases them and they walk out of prison. But guess what? That happened after. They were praising God before that. They didn't know that was going to happen. Do you see what I'm saying? They're praising him in the middle of a horrible situation, a Roman prison. And their release was not guaranteed. It wasn't conditional. They didn't praise him to get out of prison. They praised him for him. Get to know him for him. That's my call to you today. Guess what? He died in prison later. A different prison. He wrote this from prison. Don't worry about anything. He wrote this from prison. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Don't forget his blessings. 
then you will experience God's peace. God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will then guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you can understand it or put a price on that. That is worth more than anything else. So I'm asking you a very sincere question. Will you seek him for him? Just him. Just him. Will you follow him because it's true? Now look, I guarantee, I I get it. You might be saying, Pastor, what, what if I am struggling and I need answers? Then let's find answers. Let's talk. Come, come, come to our classes. That's what these are for. You might be saying, Pastor, I need help. I know. We do. We need help. We need each other. You might be sitting here and, and um, I didn't know Colin was going to lead in prayer for healing. I'm glad he did. You may need healing. God heals. Yes. Maybe a relationship needs healed. Maybe finances are hard. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But here's the thing. The first thing is him, 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 regardless of all those things. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I'm going to take you to something Jesus said. This comes right out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to this huge group, and and the Sermon on the Mount covers three chapters. There's a lot of things. He's speaking, though, specifically about God taking care of you. Listen to what he says. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows what you need, so seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you want. Just kidding. What you need. Okay, your eyes are still closed, please. I'm asking a very serious question because this goes out to every single person. Whether you're walking online or watching online or if you're here in the room, and no matter where you are in this relationship with God, no matter where you are, if you're already at that point where you seek him for him and you get what I'm saying, or for you it sounds ridiculous and the furthest thing from your mind, I'm just going to challenge you again. Challenge him. Ask him. God, if you're real, I need to know you're real. God, If this is true and I could have a relationship with the creator of the universe, show me that. You know what? He's been doing that for people from the very beginning. And if you're honest, he's actually already shown you many times. And maybe you haven't been listening. But maybe you're here today and this is the day. That maybe everything has built up to this day. And for this day, you're willing to say, yes, for the first time, I want him for him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you would be honest with yourself and him and say, God, I've never really given you a chance, but I want to do that today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray with you. That's what we're going to do. I do see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in this room? I want you for you. We have a Bible for you. We have a great book that will help guide you in this new life in Christ. If that is you, though, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to give a moment for anybody else. I do see that hand and I want to pray. I want, let's do this. Can we just take one moment and I want everybody in the room to pray with this person who's raised their hand because it matters. This person is saying, I want God for God. 
So let's do this. Let's, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to forgive our sins. We're going to ask him to change us, to make us new. And that's what we're going to believe God to do today. And even if you didn't raise your hand, you could still pray this prayer. And as you pray that and you're honest with God, he changes things. So let's do this. Would you just repeat after me? We'll all pray this together. Father God, I want you for you. I want to know you like Pastor was saying. I want you in my life that way. I'm sorry for what I've done that is wrong. I want you to forgive me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your eyes closed for one minute, please? I want to ask one more question. I, I know that we're all in different places in our walk with Christ. And the fact is, we, as human beings, we, we, like I said last week, it's almost like a roller coaster. We're up and down, up and down, I get it. But I'm just, I want to ask a question. I just ask everybody in here, and I'm, this is today. I just want to ask for you to make a commitment, not, not because I'm looking, it's not about that, but between you and God. I'm just going to ask you a simple question. I want you to respond with your hand up if, if this is you. Will you, do you want to seek him for him? Do you want that? If that's you, raise your hand if that's you. Okay. If you would stand with me for just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. If there are some specific things I want to challenge you to do as I release you. But in, before we do that, if, if you are here and you are on our prayer team, if you're one of the, the staff or board and spouses and on the prayer team, if you come down very quickly, we want to pray with you. I know for some people it's really hard to give up certain things. Maybe you've been struggling with something and even as I've been speaking today, you know that there's something that's been a roadblock for you. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, maybe it is the social media and as I, I was talking about fasting something you knew immediately that's what you need to do but you need help you want someone to pray with you we want to pray with you maybe it's for healing and maybe as we prayed you you want more prayer for healing we will pray with you maybe for you and wanting more of god maybe you've been thinking about being filled with the holy spirit and it's been something on your mind maybe for years today could be that day these people will pray with you So I want you to do that. I want to invite you, if you need help with any of those things, I want you to step out now. Don't wait. Come on down, and they will pray with you. Just move out of your seat now. We will pray with you. And I want to lead the rest of us in prayer. I want to pray for all of us in this room. Every one of you who raised your hand, and you want more of God. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray for before you even come. But I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for as you move toward him, he will move toward you. And as you want more of him, there will be more of him. Whether that's in your, in your scripture reading. We have a reading plan that we started as a church on the first. You can still jump in there. Don't feel like, oh, I missed a day or two. It's okay. The, the link for that is in our, it's on Facebook, but it's also in our, uh, the notes for the sermon today. And if you just can't seem to get it, tell me. I'll text you the link. It's easy to do. Reading with him every day is important. For you, it's this fast, something that God would call you to do. Please, please do that. Let me pray over us. God, we want you for you. I, 
Every single one of us in this room, I'm praying that every one of us, as we reach out to you, that you would meet us in a way that is new and different. God, that we want you. We will seek you. We will, we will walk and seek you no matter what comes in our lives. No matter what hardships come, God, we want you for you. God, we want more of you. We want to know more of you. We want, as we read your word, I pray it would come alive in a way that is brand new to us. I pray that you would show us things that we haven't seen before. Father, I pray for those that have been struggling with making time for that, that you would create that time in their lives and it would be so rewarding that they never turn back. Father, I pray for our prayer life, that as we pray to you, that it would become a connection with you, a conversation that would, that would give us, God, a, a, just a momentum in our life that would never change. Father, I pray just as we read in Philippians, as Paul wrote from jail, that as we bring our requests to you, that you would guard our hearts and minds and give us a peace that transcends all understanding in spite of whatever we are walking through. And God, we would not want to ever miss this opportunity to also ask that you intervene in whatever situation people are struggling with. That God, they would feel you in the middle of whatever that is, if it's a financial crisis, if it's a relationship crisis, if it's a health crisis, God, as they, we'd feel your presence and you would just fill up whatever room these people are in, whatever time they are there, God, that they would sense and know that you are guiding and walking them through every single one of those things. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, real quick, just think about this for a second. When you pray for patience, does God just give you it? What does he do? Gives you some situations where you can learn patience. Did you ever notice that? That's why I never pray for patience personally, but, but, okay. God bless you as you seek more of God for God. Have a great day. Enjoy this weather.